Zach, we only have like seven people listening to our book review. Well, all those seven people should bring seven people of their own. I'm interested to know if they're getting anything out of it. Let us know. We are Donald Miller's book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Where are we today, Zach? We're on uh, chapters 14 and 15 of the book. We got away from our outline the last couple of times we've done this. We have. Yeah, I don't suppose you used your outline, did you? I try to look at uh, two of the main points depending on the Uh length of a chapter. Okay. For example, 14 is a a page and a half, really, maybe two pages, if you will. So it's kind of tricky, but also the main points are kind of right there, clear clear as crystal. Mm -hmm. So I do that. Um, I really, yeah, I think I have also gone away from it. You know, I haven't really taught anybody about what I've learned from it. Uh, But I have been trying to really process it at the same time, but kind of just really understanding it. And isn't that what happens though? You, you come up with a plan, you're going to do something and it makes sense and it's a good plan. And then you just quit doing it. And, I, and when I say you, I mean me too. Yeah. I mean everybody, just right? Like you, you as a person in general does it. And I think that's one of the things that holds us all back to achieve higher things because we go, you know, this would really work. This would be good. I would yeah. benefit from it. And then a week later, you don't do it anymore. Definitely. And then you kind of forget about it. And then you go back and you're like, well, dang it, I wish that I kept doing that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to be more intentional about this because um, when I, I've had, you probably know better than me how many conversations I've had with veterans this week. It's been a bunch. Mm-hmm. But every single one of them, I talk about writing your own story. So I'm trying yeah. to teach the concepts of this book forward to them because so many of them do what we did with the book review thing where we go, man, that's a really cool deal. I really should do that. And we don't do it. Right. And then you go six months down the road and you go, man, I had all this good information. I could have shared it with people and then I didn't do it. But, or if you're in your personal life, I know I need to work out every day or I need to, whatever it is, but then you don't do it. And then six months later, you're still at the same point where you started because you never did it. Mm-hmm. So it's something we've all got to be more diligent about. I think this really ties in like um, the whole concept of your story and for example in previous chapters I mentioned his uncle and how the, everybody was really upset not so much at, at the fact that his uncle passed away yes but also the fact that people wanted to hear more of his story yeah. and it was cut short he shouldn't have been done yet right mm-hmm. and I think kind of like having that story having that 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 life people want to know more you want to do more I think that also ties in really well with Covey and what Covey said um Basically, you know, how you mentioned the six-month plan of working out. It's not so much about discipline, but it's about how how much it really means to you. And I think, like, you know, maybe that kind of ties in with Covey is, you know, how much does your story really mean to you? Are you willing to kind of devote yourself to live your life, you know, a very fulfilling life uh, and leave people on the edge of their seat? Kind of what's going next? What's, ne- what's next in a positive way? And then whenever your time comes to pass, then people are like, you know, we didn't get to finish. And I think that kind of goes into your story of seeing how well is it entwined in your mind to to leave a good story. I, th- I don't know. I think both authors are kind of, they work really well together. They're very Look at you six months ago. You didn't read a book. Yeah, I know. Now you're quoting other books and drawing comparisons. I got a good teacher. What can I say? <laughs> All right. Chapter 14, Saving the Cat. Yep. What'd you get out of that? Um, I thought, well, one. They mentioned Rocky, so that was pretty cool. Uh, but also, I think the fact of, like, you know, 
just how the way a story is, the way they broke down a story. You know, you don't want a story to immediately go into a dilemma or a problem or some circumstance where it's kind of iffy. But at the same time, you want to basically show that you are you're doing something good, and that way people are are like, okay, you know, you have my intention. Now where is it going to go? And I think that that kind of applies the same thing, especially in the veteran community. Um, you know, you did your time of service, and so that's that little attention grabber from civilians once you leave the military. And then like somebody can say who never served in the military can be like, oh, you, you served in the Air Force or the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, whatever. Now what are you going to do? Let's see what you're capable you're, You have great great leadership. You're promoted, meritorious promotions, awards, all that, all those things in the military. But now let's see how you are as, as a civilian. And so I think that's kind of similar to Saving the Cat when it's it's the author is basically depicting, it says, uh, the author says, it's, you know, uh, he wants to do a problem right off the bat. And then the, one of the cinematographer, cinematographers says, it's too early for that. Don can't make a move on Penny, not in the way you're describing. The repeater says it's too early. And then um, that's when the cinematographer goes into saving the cat. In the movies, they typically do, within the first 25 to 30 minutes, they um, show some the, the main character do something really positive. Basically kind of sucking the audience in as, this is a good person, or this is the main character. And so from there, they go into the story. So I got a lot out of it. I mean, it's a short chapter, but uh, it also actually explained cinematography a little bit to me. Now I understand. I, I like the part where he talks about, in the movie Rocky, the little things that he does at the beginning that make you like the character. But in particular, he talks about uh, Rocky's at his restaurant, and and he he uh, people want to hear a story. Mm -hmm. And so he tells his story every time like it's the first time he's ever told a story, even though he's told it ten times a day for the last five years. Yeah. And... Mike Schlitz is a guy like that, right? When when you meet Mike Schlitz, double-hand amputee, uh, former platoon sergeant, retired sergeant first class, uh, when people meet him, he engages with them like he's never told his story before, like it's all brand new to him. And, I, and he does it, I don't know how many times a day, but he makes every person feel special because in his interactions with them, He's like, yeah, yeah, I got hurt. And, 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 you know, I've told that story before. I don't want to tell it now. No, it's like, well, yeah, I'll tell you how my arms work. And, mm -hmm. um, but that, that kind of thing, when you think about your interactions with other people, are you interacting with them from their perspective or from your perspective? Ooh. And it's like uh, one, one of the things I'm trying to write into the new workbook whenever I get enough time to <laughs> put it together, hopefully before Vet Expo. But it's like... Um, if you're riding a motorcycle or you're on a bicycle um, and, and you see somebody coming from the other way on a bicycle, you're on a bicycle, they're on a bicycle, typically you'll wave at each other, you'll nod, you'll do some sort of recognition. I know from the days when I used to ride a motorcycle, uh, people that ride bikes do the same thing. They'll stick a couple of fingers out or something to recognize the other person. Uh, what happens if you do that and they don't do it back? How do you feel? Kind of almost a... Not almost, offended. almost offended, right? Yeah. yeah, you're like, well, what a jerk. Yeah. That person didn't even say hi to me. And they might not have seen you. They might have been worrying about the car that was going to pull out in front of them. Maybe they did it before you looked at them and they think you're the jerk because they didn't see you do it back. But it's is it about you getting recognition from them or is it about you giving them some recognition, right? So are you making it about you or are you making it about them? True. And in the, the Rocky piece... He made every interaction about them. He told his story. Maybe it made him feel good to do it, but he told his story and he made every one of them feel special, which makes them want to keep coming back to the restaurant. Mm -hmm. uh, when Mike Schlitz does it, 
he, he doesn't do it because it makes him feel good. He does it because he cares about other people and it makes them feel good. And now when I see somebody on a bike and I wave at them and they don't wave back, I don't get offended at it because I think, well, maybe I missed their wave mm-hmm. or maybe they got something going on and they're just not looking around or Which is another, whatever it is. The whole, th- the whole concept you just mentioned right now is another Covey thing when he talks about empathy. Yeah. You know, and it's it's not so much about you, but it's about you know, okay, well, what what are you doing? What are you doing for your your fellow human being? And are you being a, a, a empathetic towards them? And let's say, well, maybe they'd understand it, you know, rather than just hey, you know, F, come back and you turn around on your bike and catch up to them and give them bird and say f you and stuff like that. Then you're thinking, you know, when you develop that level of empathy, you're saying, okay, well, maybe they didn't see me, or maybe you know, the sun's to my back, and but it's in his face or her face, and they didn't see me, anything like that. So. I think there's another cubby thing, you know, the empathy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Something for us all to work on. All right, so, second chapter, chapter 15, listen to your writer. This one was big for me. Yeah? I, look, I even, like, highlighted stuff. Like, right there and there. It was more highlights because I, I didn't want to hide the whole paragraph, so I just started digging. I've marked all over the books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, this one. What's the biggest thing you got out of this chapter? Um, there was two points that I really highlighted about, I think it was with the first one, was, um, he quote the Don Miller, the author, he writes, uh, I believe there is a writer outside, outside ourselves, plotting a better story for us, interacting with us, even and whispering a better story into our consciousness. I thought that was like otherworldly. Um, <laughs> that's like some deep stuff I, I I thought at least you know I read it over and over yeah when you when you start the book you read the book it doesn't seem like he doesn't come across as a religious person he doesn't come, come across as somebody who's quoting scripture or anything like that but when you get into this part then he has developed a sense of faith right. and and he doesn't say whether he's Buddhist or Christian or whatever but he definitely has developed this belief based on the things that he writes in this chapter that there is a voice in your head that tells you what's right and what's wrong Mm -hmm. and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And a lot of times the things that the voice in your head is telling you you should do are things you do not want to do, right? Right. For whatever reason, and maybe it offends your your sense of pride because someone offended you, or maybe it's just too hard to do and you don't want to do it. But there's that little nagging voice in there that says, Hey, this is what you should do. And 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 in his case, what happened when he started listening to that voice? He was uh, holding his tongue, is what he quoted. Like he was kind of like trying to fight it until you know he was basically told through the voice to go find his dad. Maybe you should go forgive your father, is what the voice told him. And then he's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And then towards the end of the chapter, he's like, all right, maybe I should stop fighting, and because things are, you know, things were happening to where it should indicate for him to go look for his dad. And so he just he basically bit his tongue and did what but the but it built up to that because because through that there's other small things that he believes as he starts listening to that voice that's telling him to do certain things when he starts obeying that voice then things in his life start getting better mm-hmm. and so whether it is there's a higher purpose that is trying to guide you towards a better life by telling you this is it or whether it is your own subconscious. Uh, that is giving you um, pointers or or your subconscious knows the things that you should be doing and so your subconscious is telling you if you do this your life will be better whatever that is that voice that's in your head 
is is trying to point you towards a better future. Right. And so many people don't follow it or don't listen to it. And in his case, once he started listening to it, things started improving. Definitely. And that kind of led me to my next little highlighter point. Uh, to quote the author, he says, The real voice is still is stiller and smaller and seems to know, without confusion, the difference between right and wrong and the subtle delineation, delineation. Mm-hmm. between the beautiful and profane. Once again, you're getting real deep right there with that one sentence. But at the same time, it's like... Um, I guess in a military sense, you could consider that like a, a special special operations uh, unit. You know, they're not massive, they're not big, they're not built uh, and, or designed to fight whole entire battles and wars by themselves. But rather, it's a very surgical and precise strike. Uh, they're implemented. They're you know they'll be dropped off to one area. Do hey, there's one little thing you need to do, but you need to be exact about it, and they get it done. But I think that kind of applies to the voice the voice is saying hey do this this is the one thing you need to do this mm-hmm. is you know in his case talk to your dad and forgive him read through the rest of that where you stopped okay. uh, after beautiful and profane read the rest of that paragraph it says uh <clears throat> it's not an agitated voice but ever patient as though it approves a million false starts the voice i'm talking about is a deep water of calming wisdom that says hold your tongue don't talk about that person that way forgive the friend you haven't talked to don't look at that woman as a possession. I want you to show you the sunset. Look and see how short life is and how your troubles are not worth worrying about. Buy that bottle of wine and call your friend and see if he can get together. Because, remember, he was supposed to have that conversation with his daughter, and you should ask him about it. Yeah, I, I really like that at the very beginning of that where it says, it's ever patient as though it approves a million false starts. Mm-hmm. So in uh, Burris, Functional Emotional Fitness Coaching, it addresses this specific thing because when people don't do something that they wanted to do or they're trying to quit drinking and then they have a drink, then they go into guilt and blame and they feel stupid and they beat themselves up about it. And and what this is saying is ever patient as it approves a million false starts. So it was a false start. You didn't do what you wanted to do, but now you learn from it and here's the right thing to do. Do that next time. Mm-hmm. And that's the part of the whole burst philosophy is to take you away from guilt and blame and move you towards things that uh, help you accomplish your objectives. Nice. So that's, that's very, very cool. Um, okay, what next? Mm. So he gets, I don't want to say he gets really, he doesn't really get necessarily get religious here. Um, and I think he, he mentions God. Uh, and depending on your religious or spiritual views, you can just, God can be a, just a generic term here. Um, but at the same time though, the second paragraph starts off him saying, so I started obeying a litter. A litter. Excuse me. <laughs> I hope not a litter. Uh, so he says, so I started obeying a little. I feel God wanted me to hold my tongue, and I would. It didn't feel natural at first. It felt fake, like I was being a character somebody else wanted me to be, and not who I, was actually, not who I actually was. But if I held my tongue, the scene would play better, and I'd always felt better when it was done. I think... Um, I think that can be applied today in so many ways. I mean, people will always, you know, use, use the term cliche. You know, oh, that sounds cliche. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it might be, might be cliche, you know, sound cliche, but it was developed and it came into practice because people did it, you know, maybe 20 years ago, maybe 200 years ago, and it worked. that thing worked out so well that, you know, it was basically, you know, 
society protocol kind of thing. You know, for example, whenever you walk somebody or you're riding your bike and you see somebody, you just give them that sign of recognition or, hey, I'm acknowledging you. Um, and now some people might think it's cliche. Oh, you know, it's kind of dumb now just to wave high. Well, people did it for so long that you know, it's the norm now and almost expected. But and so when it says it felt fake, I think that that is when he's trying to maybe say, you know, well, it, sounds, it might be cliche and it felt fake. But then when you keep applying it and you really start understanding it, it's like old school stuff. You know, a new person learning old school methods about something mm-hmm. might feel fake. But at the same time, it's like, oh, sh- you know, oh, dang, this is really working out. You know, this is no wonder somebody, you know, they people practice this 50 years ago, 200 years ago, whatever the, the case may be. But that's kind of what I understood from from it saying yeah. he felt fake. Yeah, the the last part I want to take away from it, and then we'll we'll conclude because we're at seventeen minutes. Right. Um, he said uh, the voice was guiding me from the defensive to the intentional. So it was defensive is kind of backward looking and protective, mm-hmm. and intentional is you have to get off your butt and do something. And it says God wanted me to do things to help people to volunteer, write a letter, or talk to my neighbor, and all those things are giving you a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. So veterans that have really fallen into depression or anybody that has for that matter, they probably have lost their sense of purpose. And so they don't see why do they exist? What what are they doing in, in where you started when he was talking about the funeral, his uncle that he went to, mm-hmm. everybody was more sad that they couldn't see the rest of his story than they were about him dying, right? It was the lost part of his life that they were mourning mm-hmm. as opposed to the part he'd already lived. So my challenge, I had a, I talked to a veteran this last week who was depressed and, and had suicidal thoughts and, and had a young kid. And this veteran, uh, he, he said, well, you know, they'll be taken care of. I have insurance. They'll be better off if I'm not here. So what you're telling your young son, when he turns 35 or 40 years old, if he runs into a, a really bad situation, that it's okay for him to kill himself then because you're showing, you're the one showing him that what's way. right, yeah. right? Is that what you want to do? And the guy's like, holy cow, no, that's not what I want to do. So you got to, you have to quit thinking about what's got you to the point where you are and start thinking about what is in the future. What can you do to mold and shape where you go in the future? Right. So, well, nice. Okay. So, uh, Donald Miller's a million miles in a thousand years. You can get it on Amazon. Amazing book. And yeah. uh, next week we're doing chapter 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Are they super? Ooh, part three. We go right into yeah. part three. So we ought to do, yeah, first chapter in part three is pretty long. So we'll do 16 and then yeah. the first chapter in part three. Okay. Right on. Stay Thanks tuned. for joining us. Stay tuned. Be brave, be bold, be, be gallant. gallant.